Hey everyone, welcome to Sir Inc.'s The Experience Podcast, where we talk about anything and everything kink. We only cater to adults 18 and above. So remember, this podcast is not safe for work, or as we like to say, NSF. Remember, you can always listen to us during your personal time. Hello, kinky and kinkiers folk out there. My name is Sir Inc. And today, I'm going to have a conversation with a friend who's studying to be a sex therapist. And I want to know more about sex therapy. Well, I do know some things, but there's a lot of people that when they hear sex therapy, they just automatically think like, oh God, you know, that person talks about sex all day, but on the contrary, that's that's just not it. But without further ado, here's my friend Fee. Hello, Fee. Hey, yes. So sex therapy, I am studying it. I'm very excited, but you're right. Um, people do get kind of confused. Um, it's not tantric therapy. Um, I've seen a lot of really great classes for how to give a blowjob or like counseling sessions where you all come together and like group masturbate. It's just really not any of those things. Um, Sex therapy is a type of psychotherapy. So it's a talk therapy, um, you know, typically just in an office setting. Um, I never see my, I would never see a, um, a client naked. Um, you know, no client would ever see me naked. That's, it's all very far outside of the code of our ethics. Um, but it's, it's definitely more, um, just like, you know, it's psychotherapy, but it's, you know, specialized in, um, matters of, of intimacy. So you might see a psychologist that's a sex therapist or a social worker. Um, there are some physicians that are sex therapists. Um, and family therapists, you know, family and couples therapists sometimes might be specialized, um, but you can actually get certified as a certified sex therapist. Um, and that certifying body is ASEC. That's the American Association of Sexual Educators, uh, Counselors, and Therapists. Um, and so there's a number of hours you have to do when you got to take a ton of coursework um, and test into it and get certified as a uh, sex therapist. So what is it about it that made you give up a good paying corporate job to <laughs> being a sex therapist? And will you be pursuing the kind of role where you'll have your own office? I can come lay on your chair. I can tell you all about my my life and my sexual deeds. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> 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 sounds so specific. Um, well, so, okay. So... Once you become certified as a sex therapist, you can you can end up a lot of different places. Um, you can imagine that um, if you have a therapist that is stationed in a domestic violence shelter, um, someone who is there specifically to talk to women who have been sexually assaulted, um, you might be stationed, you know, clinically at a hospital uh, for rape victims. Um, but like you mentioned, yes, I personally um, am hoping to work as a, a private practitioner. Um, because I personally do better um, with one-on-one or one-on-two or maybe one-on-three conversations at most. Um, and uh, and that's just sort of, that's how I work best. I really want to get to know somebody individually for, you know, as long as that takes um, and then really focus in on their their individual issues. So I, that's why, you know, I, why did I pursue this? Um, because wellness, you know. I, m- mental health overall is uh, is a passion of mine. Um, I'm at an age now where I've been through a lot of things and I've seen a lot of things and I've heard a lot of stories. And um, I just sort of have um, an empathy towards uh, people and, and the sort of, you know, psychological struggles that they go through. So I originally thought, okay, I just want to be a psychologist. I just want to know about psychology and how the mind works. Um, but the program I'm in now um, is different in two ways. One, um, it's a social work program. So it's night psychology. It's really looking more at not just you as the individual in your brain, but you in your environment, you as it you know relates to your family and to work and your extended family and your church and that whole thing. Um, and then the sexual part of it is really because one, yes, I love sex. Go sex. 
Um, I love sex and I love the power of sex. I love how empowering it can be. And just like, it's just like you have six flags, you know what I'm saying, in your body. It's just like, you don't have to pay anybody. <laughs> like, like you could just be amused by yourself. Like if you can unlock that, things are wonderful. But also when things aren't going well, for some reason in this country, it's just not something we can talk about. We can say all kinds of raunchy things in songs. Mm -hmm. We can watch a movie where 200 people get shot to death and there's just blood and guts flying everywhere. But mm -hmm. you can't just speak up, you know, at family dinner and say, you know, I've been having erection issues lately right. or, you know, or my, my, actually my wife. Yeah, my wife likes shopping. Yeah, my wife doesn't like sex. Like you can't, right. say, <laughs> you right. can't say those things out loud. Right. And so what you do is you just like, internalize it and let let it eat away at you and it starts to manifest in other ways. And so because sexuality is that kind of insidious where you really aren't allowed to talk about it anywhere else and because I just happen to be uniquely wired to um, to be empathetic to all sorts of issues um, and to really be sort of a walking judgment free zone, um, I thought I could I could make most use of myself there so. Um, so yeah, so that's why, that's why sex therapy. Why would you, why would you, why would you, why would you assess, um, sex, uh, sex Why would someone see one? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, really the whole range. Uh, I suppose it's interesting because, um, in, in the, in the last several months of studies, um, specifically, I've learned more about sort of how people end up at a sex therapist and it's um if you go to your physician and you have like medical issues there you know a lot of times um because of their time constraints and their training they're going to think sort of pharmacologically about how they can help you um if you have erectile dysfunction they're going to say well here are the medications this is something that can be covered by your insurance i can get this to you quickly we can solve it right, right. um if you've got a savvy enough doctor, though, mm -hmm. they are going to let you know wh what is a fact, which is that um, it may be a physical issue, but it may be a psychological issue. And that kind of thing is is proven by the fact that so many people, so many men, you know, start on Viagra and then sort of you know get off of it um, because it's really not addressing the psychological issues that were really sort of affecting um, their ability to to get an erection. And so maybe your doctor would would recommend, you know what, go talk to somebody. Or maybe you're in family therapy and your family therapist feels like you've got some real sex specific issues that are outside of the realm um, of what they feel, you know, particularly trained for, and they might suggest that you go to a sex therapist. Um, a, a lot of the overwhelming majority, apparently, of, um, well, not overwhelming majority, but more than half of clients that come to see sex therapists are typically there because of lack of interest in one partner um, that has extended for some, you know, period of time that the other partner feels is, is sort of uncomfortable and unacceptable. Um, so lack of interest, a lot of people go for pain issues, um, which again, it's amazing. It's like until you, one, sometimes until you experience it and two, until you study it, it's hard to imagine how, how, how a physical pain during sex can be, um, really 100%, um, a psychologically driven. Um, and so it doesn't occur to people when you're in pain to like call up a talk therapist and talk to them. I think that's a very interesting point. You know, I have guys that may come into my shop and, mm -hmm. and they talk about like, you know, ED pills and what, which ones work the best and all this. But I think a lot of it, and even my own personal experiences, I think a lot of maybe what affects you know, a man's erection absolutely is mental. But I think men, we try to power our way through it because Ooh. when we were younger, you just get an erection just because, you know, mm -hmm. you just dick hard just, just because, you know, um, when you get older, that's not the case. Right. I think when it comes to intimacy, you may not, men are so visual and maybe yeah. because of life changes and, you know, lack of, um, you know, people being complacent, right? And maybe she's not being as sexy as she want, as she once was. Or maybe you're just the kind of guy that likes multiple partners and just tries to bring it in with one person, but all that stuff eats at a person. Not 
you needing pills is your motivation. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think going from your 20s and everybody looks great in their 20s to your 30s. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm, I'm, I'm, you know, she has a little dents and bruises and I got some dents and bruises. Then you get to your 40s, you're like, ah, ah. Then you start looking back to the young girls. Now that I'm older, in my late 40s, I'm looking, I can see that transition of not being able to accept where you are in your lane as far as your generation. And looking back to these younger women for that stimulation, right? Yeah. And I, and I think a lot of us just try to mask those kind of physical want issues and also that mental drain of being in a relationship sometimes. If you're with someone, they say things that turn you off and you're still trying to power through it. These are just, the pills are just a way of masking, as you said, those deeper issues. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's kind it, it's not our fault. It's just the way our society is designed. Um, sex therapy is a luxury. I mean, I'll just say that off the bat. Are you are do people, poor people in sub-Saharan Africa have sex therapists? Most of them don't. You know what I'm saying? If you never see a sex therapist <laughs> as you live and die, will you be OK? You'll, you'll be fine. So it is I mean, you know, it's a luxury. Um, but, but if you're in a, in a stressful world, you know, in a stressful environment, like, like the United States, it it might be worth it. The truth of the matter is it takes time. If you come to a sex therapist and you're having erectile issues, um, that, you know what I'm saying? You're not going to pop something and be okay by the end of the day. And the way our lives are designed, the way that we're working 70 hour weeks, the way that we've got, you know, families that we have to, you know, respond to. Yeah. Pills end up looking like, well, it's better than nothing. Like I don't have time to put the hours and hours and hours into going to this therapist and figuring it out. Let me just pop this pill. Um, and so it makes sense that people would try that. Unfortunately, I'm going to say something like, Jesus, I'd have to pull it up, but I, I want to read somewhere. I want to say somewhere I read that at least I think 50% of those who start um, on an ED pill, you know, event, you know, eventually abandon it. Um, and uh, it is it's like you can't really run from <laughs> you can't really run from the issues. You right. can continue to try to mask it and push it away, but the issue's still gonna be there. Right. It's still gonna be there. So um, so yeah, so sex therapy, if you have time, um, you know. And 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 the resources, it's a it's a good way to say, okay, well, we're not going to like dilly dally around the problem. Like, let's just really address the problem because we really want to make things better. And again, it's not always erectile dysfunction and pain. Sometimes it's, you know, a lot of times it is infidelity. People want to understand why did someone cheat and, you know, what does it mean for us sexually? Um, you know, and then there is assault. There are a lot of people who are sort of healing from assault. There are people who are healing from childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are people who are just bored. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, I am also looking forward to serving people who just want to go from good to great. That's also a thing. Yeah, it's definitely you. a thing. <laughs> Not is, to say that we don't do that. What um, is good, that to again, great? What is good, good to great? Yeah. When folks say, you know, we're okay, but we're getting a teensy bit, you know, bored. What should we do? And how do we, you know, a lot of people now um, are, are discussing sort of polyamorous relationships. And, um, it's interesting because right now in terminology, there is sex therapist and then there is couples counselor or couples therapist and Mm -hmm. couples and family therapist, but Mm -hmm. couple by definition denotes two people. Um, and so what I'm really looking forward to is that language changing really more to like intimate relationship therapy, because it might not be marriage and there might be more than two of you, you know what I'm saying? And maybe it's not sex and, you know, maybe you're both asexual, whatever it is, it's an intimate relationship and you guys, you know, you need some help. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, that kind of thing is changing. People are coming in and they want to know how do I navigate, you know, we want to bring in a third. How do we do that and ensure that like this whole thing doesn't like explode in our faces or what have you? Um, And it's so subjective, just like any other therapist, you really need to find someone who jibes well with you. Not everybody's going to say the same thing. All sex therapists are, are, you know, have a code of ethics. um, If you are an ASEC um, certified therapist that you have to adhere to, Um, they're all going to be open to all sexualities, that kind of thing. But when you want someone to sort of help you navigate certain experiences it may help to have someone that you know knows more about one thing or another now i know some polyamorous couples Mm -hmm. and one of their main staples and they have a whole progressive open lovers 
kind of thing. That's what they're called. Um, but one, one of the tenets is you must master monogamy before you can try to move into polyamory. Hmm. Sometimes polyamory as an add-on is kind of masking some other issues, like like For sure. running from something or running towards something that they think is going to enhance it when they're really on shaky ground, period. So the, so in their view, couples need to have monogamy down first before hmm. they even try to add another man into the relationship or another woman in the relationship. Like this couple, the woman has a boyfriend and the husband has another girlfriend. Uh-huh. Or girlfriends. Uh-huh. And so their one of their first tenets is learn to master monogamy first. So is that, you know, how long do you master? What is mastering monogamy? Like, do you, how long, you know, are you together for a year and you both say we didn't do anything or is it a month or is it five years? How long do you have to be together before you can say that you've mastered monogamy? There are people who are married who mastered monogamy until year 12 and then they unmastered it. Unmastered it, right. But some people say, what, they say to master anything, you need 10,000 hours in it. <laughs> yes, that is that is what right. they say. I that's suppose you can put in your 10,000 hours of, of of solo sex in it. Um, right. <laughs> and, and then you'd be allowed to sort of graduate to, you know, <laughs> once you undo it, though, it's not like, you know, you can't, you can't master monogamy and then keep it. It's over as soon as you're, you, you polyed up. So, um, but it is interesting. I mean, the thing is, the point really, really is with all of these relationships is that you do need to know yourself. Um, you need to be really clear on yourself. And that's another reason I really like therapy. I love being in therapy. I love the idea of providing it to other people. Um, I think everybody should budget it in um, to their lives. Um, and it's because all of these definitions, poly, you know, amory and feminism and, and, you know, lesbianism or whatever, um, they're, you know, they're also gray. They're super, super, super gray terms. You're at some point, you all, you're going to have nothing but yourself to rely on. And you're going to need to know what makes you tick. You need to know what makes you happy, what makes you unhappy, and you need to know how to vocalize it. And who cares what terms they are placing on it, right. as long as you know, you know what works for you. Um, then, then you've done your work. You know what I'm saying? You've done your work. Um, and so sometimes it helps to have a therapist. That's what you know. Therapy. That's what you train for. You train to help people connect with themselves, not to tell them how to feel or to solve their problems, but really to help them find themselves and what they would make them happiest. So let me say a couple of statements real quick, and then I'll let you respond to them. Okay. Number, number one, I was on another uh, video cast uh, uh-huh. with some friends, two couples. They're the Vanillas, what we would call Vanillas, and uh-huh. another young lady who's into BDSM. And a lot of our conversation, they were trying to understand BDSM. And I was trying to ex- explain to them the intimacy of the relationships. Mm-hmm. And also I was explaining to them the emergence of BDSM in the gender roles as sort of a little bit of a pushback towards feminism, as well as not just a pushback or push against feminism or uh, or a relapse to older times, but how this whole metrosexual male has been been pushed upon us since the 90s into the 2000s. And it seems to be a softening of the male uh, species. And so now you have these alpha males have to be dominant and all that, because there's a lot of guys that I know that are alpha males who are into kink, but they don't consider themselves dominants. They just consider themselves men, right? Hmm. Men. And then you got these guys that's out there like, oh, I'm a dominant. You know, you got to call me master and all this. And so that's one That's one part of that. Uh, today. I, uh, I think that, you know, this 
it's interesting because I, I did a, a lot of reading. I don't have a ton of like personal experience with BDSM, um, but because of this program, I have done a lot of reading. And um, what's interesting, of course, about like sex research is that it's all like super, super young. And, um, and because it's so young, it's like, oh, well, we did um, a study here. And, you know, th there's this awesome, you know, BDSM group in Maryland and they're super respectful of each other. And everybody's like very kumbaya and men are all feminists, right? And then you have this like BDSM group in LA and the men are like, God damn it, I'm tired of feminism, you know, or whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and it comes down again to knowing yourself, one, and then two, understanding the group that you're with, right? That if right. you are engaging with men, you want to understand, you know, maybe their motivation. Um, you know, a lot of the research about BDSM and feminism, you know, suggests that um, that, that should be a practice of BDSM clubs, but then also that women should be encouraged to understand their motive their motivation, you know, behind being a submissive to make mm -hmm. sure that, you know, it's that they're moving on like sort of healthy assumptions. Right. Um, but it, you know, it varies people, the reasons people partake vary so widely. Um, and the roles that people take, um, and the things that folks will consent to, um, uh, are all very, very personal. And so you sort of just have to navigate it, you know, once you get get into a group. I think that I don't know if there is I don't know if there is any massive trend um that is sort of bucking, you know, the demasculinization the masculinization of of men. Um I don't know that there's even enough research right now to say um that 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 those trends are correlated. Um, but what I do know is that the, the language of sex in general, I mean, you know, a lot of the research will point to Fifty Shades of Grey and say that like, oh, that that was sort of a turning point in terms of popular culture discussing, you know, the topic of BDSM. Um, and so it might be, you know, for me, Fifty Shades of Grey was late. I was like, <laughs> late, late as hell. <laughs> but, but for a lot of people, they see that as sort of like a jumping point for that conversation. And so, yeah, there might be people who are just like flexing the language because it's new to them and they don't understand the sort of deeper, you know, art of uh, the nuance of consent um, and that sort of thing. Um, I think it has, it has proven itself. There is documentation of BDSM being used very spiritually and very deeply and people really sort of being moved by it. Um, and, and, that, and then there's just, there's documentation of people just fucking it up. People just, right. just, people just, people just aren't, you know? Um, so I think that right now we're running the gamut. And so it's, I think, more a matter of deciding um, how you want to represent yourself in that community and what kind of ideals you want to bring to the table. And so, I, so I will say about BDSM in my experience, uh, uh -huh. and being in, uh, regular relationships and then getting into BDSM, then going back to a regular relationship, now getting out of that, and now being out back into BDSM. I like BDSM a lot, and not because of the the kink necessarily, uh, but because mostly people already come with, as you said, this is who I am. These are the things that make me who I am. And as sure. you saying about these women need to understand why they're coming to it you know sure. there are some people who like and i was explaining this i was explaining this to this to these two couples is that some people come for a release right yeah and so like mm -hmm. my, my my friend nikki that got me involved in pdsl who uh -huh. became my first submissive she one of the first kind of you know we had a little kinky sex all little handcuffs things like that Mm -hmm. Then she would actually, then she would turn me on to some information, some books about the the role the role play, which I was like, okay, now I understand why she really wants me in it. Once okay. I grasped, once I kind of grasped that, then she wanted to do what we call consent non consent play. Yes. That, <laughs> sorry, did I get too excited? I'm good. sorry. No, it's good, right? So I didn't know anything really, you know, about it. So she wants to do, you know, it's tough. So and, great. So great, yeah. So the first time we did it, she wanted to do it by knife point. She wanted me to cut, you know, her clothes off of her and all that. Yeah. And afterward, after you do a session, you're supposed to give what they call aftercare. 
Yes. Which is like console somebody or give them make sure everybody is to bring them back, bring them back down to earth. She Mm -hmm. actually had to give me uh, aftercare. Which is another thing I'd yeah. Because mentally for me, I never saw myself taking sex from a woman. I never seen myself uh, taking sex non-consently, right? Yeah. So one of the things that she was explaining to me afterwards, she was like, she had had some things happen to her in her past. Sure. And the this this way is a way for her to claim power over a situation that she had no power in when she was younger. And so yep. she's reliving it, but giving consent to have it that way. Yep. And so I I you know it took me, you know, it just took me a minute to grasp it, but as I've you know, as I've grown in the lifestyle, I, I understand what people come for. I, not all really the time. I do now have questions to ask people because some people come for, some people want that physical release. Some mm-hmm. people want more guidance. Mm-hmm. Some yep. people want uh, degradation. Yep. You know what I mean? So it it is 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 deep and very vast. It's, it's not yeah. like one person. There's no cookie cutter for every for for BDSM. None whatsoever. Yeah. What I would yeah. have with one woman is going to be completely different with another woman because what what they need is different. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now it's interesting because in this in this uh, in this literature review, um, uh, sort of analyzing BDSM and feminism, um, they they were talking about sort of the themes that had hopped up, and three of the themes that they were talking about in terms of the the reasons behind submission. Um, one was submission as just a natural part of self. You're just you just a naturally submissive chick. You were born that way. That's just who you are. Um, another was submission as simulation. Um, like you're not. Like I am not. I am outside in the world, not the most submissive person. Um, I'm kind of low key, but I, you know, whatever. I, in bed, I'm a I'm a total sub. So that's just really it's simulation. I like what it looks like. It's not who I am when I leave. Right. And then submission as replication, which is really the problem area where this is all you know, this is how maybe your father or you know the men in your life have treated you, and so now you're just sort of replicating what you understand relationships to be. Right. Um, but yet understanding where someone is and what they need to get out of it mm-hmm. um, is huge. It's, I mean, it's, it takes time. Yeah, and that's, and that's part of what we tell people when it comes to meeting people is vetting people correctly. Because yeah, you need to be able to convey to them what who you are and what you want, and then to give you the same input and see if that works. Yep. And a lot of people uh, are still coming at it a little bit like regular relationships. I like you. You like me. We look Let's like we can be. It is a. It is. It does not have a high success rate. It, no, it, I can imagine that. That really has to be. Um, I mean, some real, you know, some real baby steps. And that's the thing. I think that sometimes when people have experienced trauma, um, and then they're sort of just searching for, you know, everybody's googling now. You right. so you get to googling, and you're like, well, what, you know, what? How do I sort of self-diagnose and fix, you know, my problems? And then so they hear about BDSM, and the next thing you know, they're right. trying it. Um, no. You still need to, I would say, make a pit stop at a therapist's office first, right. um, because it's never going to be your partner's job to heal your trauma. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you are in the process of working with someone to heal your trauma, and part of that is BDSM, that it's important for people right. to understand that and know that and have it. But you can't go and say, oh, "I'm just going to get into a BDSM relationship, and this guy's going to heal my trauma." Like, that's right. not. Right. It's just not as safe. Doesn't work like that. Doesn't work like that. It now, doesn't let me work. ask you a question. Now, there was a book that you recommended over like a year and a half ago, and we both read. And one of the, I think it was a sex therapist, I do believe. Okay. And one of the things was, uh, her thing was, it's not your partner's job all the time to get you off. No. Or, right. or if your partner likes to look at porn while you're having sex to get off, don't take that as a slight to you. Allow them to do whatever it takes for them to get off. I'm going to say yes to the first half of that. 
<laughs> Whatever it takes is something I cannot, I can't co-sign. No. <laughs> Even, no, I can't say whatever well, not it with takes. A, not with a, I, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, so within, you know, reason. And I mean, this is the tough thing about stupid relationships, right? Is that every single point of every single day, you are being tested. Do I like right. this or do I not like this? Um, and for some people, it's just, you know what I'm saying? Like you get, some women are just far into a lot of these, these concepts. And so that's a lot of catching up right. and, you know, and for even the most committed, you know, partner or wife or what have you, right. um, going from, I think porn is the devil to, you know, my man wants to watch porn while we have sex. Mm. Um, it's not it's not an unreasonable request for a guy, but it's unreasonable to think that all women should be completely like emotionally ready to handle um, that sort of thing. I mean, people come with, you know, their years of training and baggage and teaching and experiences and trauma, mm -hmm. you know, and all of that. Um, and nobody, you know, we just don't have the time these days for folks and their shit. Um, and so, you know, so we're just like, uh, you know, chicks do this and uh, men do that. And it's like, no, you know, here are two individuals who are coming with their entire history of touch points and experiences and all of their sort of intersecting polyrhythmic realities is a word that I learned. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Polyrhythmic Poly Poly realities. Yeah, this is Professor wow. Elsa Barkley Brown. Uh, she wrote an article in 1989. She was talking about, she's uh, writes on, she studies, you know, black women in the South or what have you. And so she was talking about um, intersecting and overlapping identities. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in that way, we're talking about, you know, being a sub and being a feminist, right? right. I believe in empowerment, but I also like to this, that, right? I believe that I want my my daughter to marry a good man and get whisked away, but I'm also quietly sending her money so she can pay for her own college education. It's like, I, you know, I believe in this, but I believe in that. And now I'm on the outskirts. I'm not like, you know, one of right. the most. I right. am, you know, a black woman. I don't like Beyonce. Now it's a problem, right? right? So, <laughs> polyrhythmic realities is what she called that. Um, okay. And so navigating that for anybody, like all of us individually have our own amalgam of like realities, things that we're, you know, coming to the table with. Um, and so, you know, reasonable is, um, it's, a, it's a relative word. Mm. It's it's relative to the person. Is it reasonable for for you to for a man to expect that from all women? No, it's not. Is it reasonable for a man to have desires because he is a physical being? Yes. And then, yay, we're humans and we have to navigate, you know, somewhere in that gray. Somewhere in that gray area. So let, yep. ask, so let me ask you this: what I what I mentioned about more of the feminization of men through yes. the uh, metrosexual thing. Do you think that is relevant? I mean, as, 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 as a man going through the 90s and even at the end of the 90s when they came out with the whole term metrosexual, I wasn't with it at all because I'm like, I'm a heterosexual. Like anything you start to break down from that is, is a watered down version of a man. And so I was, so, but the, the, the the idea of metrosexualism would be some I would teether on the border of that. It, it's like a man that believes in brushing his teeth, combing his hair, dressing up, looking good, smelling good, taking care of himself, maybe get pedicures, manicures. I, I'm with all that. But when you see the visuals of what metrosexuals look like, when you Google metrosexual men on Google and you look at it, it don't look like a man's man. And so through that, I think through that and through what I hear from a lot of women about men are not being able to be men. And I think men are scared of women and men are scared to express themselves to women. Men don't talk enough. We don't communicate enough. And I think that's because we're, we're not taught to, to, to bring that to the table anymore or how to bring that to the table. Why is that? This could fill a library, honestly. Yeah, I know. <laughs> The issues, 
in I, here really could fill a library. I know, but right? I'm just all right, I'm just asking you that compared to the the whole uprising of BDS Yeah, and, this is where I'm going to start. I mean, cuz I honestly um I am feeling I'm feeling moved to write about it. Um, because I'm seeing something happening and, and being in school, I'm realizing, so there's a convergence. What's, what's, what's making me itch a little bit is that, um, I'm in school of studying sex therapy. I'm in school overwhelmingly with, with white people, young, young white folks. Um, we are only now in the year of our Lord 2020, beginning to talk about the intersection between racism and, and sexuality. Right. And and let me say this about sexuality. Sexuality encompasses everything. That's not just, you know, what you do, but it's who you do it with and how you do it and how you right. feel about it before, during and after. Right. All of that um, is sexuality. So what we are learning now um, in, in our studies about sex therapy is about um, how colonialism played a part in 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 what we consider to be men and and women you know what i'm saying the fact of the matter is right at our basis level we're over there in africa minding our business right men have earrings in they're not wearing pants right they're wearing skirts right women are topless or what have you what men were men that was men that was men europeans came landed here the american indians that were here the native americans that were here they're they're penis people had earrings, they had long hair, right? They wore skirts half the time or what have you, right? And then these Europeans decided, no, man means short hair, shaved face, pants, you know, the whole nine, right? So they go and they grab everybody. And whether they are whipping them or throwing guns in their faces or putting them in camps, they are getting everybody else to do man the way they see man, right? right. So that's problem number one. Problem number one, now we're gonna leave that there. Problem number two is, right, you then you then spend the next few hundred years, right, beating beating that into us, right? Black men, right? First you tell us we're not even human. Right. Right. Then then you don't let us, you, you steal our women away and our kids, right? You emasculate us by showing us that we have zero power whatsoever. So we define man as power, right? I came, I stole you from this country where you were in a matriarchal society anyway, and y'all were all community living. I showed you what power means here. I showed you what man means here. Then I told you you're neither. Right. Then I let you go a couple hundred years, and now I'm telling you you're not a good enough man, that maybe you need to try to be a metrosexual, that maybe you know you need to be more forgiving of, of, of different sexualities. And it's like, well, I, black men, we, they just got, we just got to the point we we're doing the man thing. You've right. done told us for the last several hundred years that this is what we're supposed to be as men. And now you're telling us we're doing men wrong. Right. I understand that fury. I get it. Right. I get it. It doesn't change the fact that what we have been trained to think of as men and manly is still not who we were. Right. right. You know what I'm saying? It's two different things. And it's hard to say, oh, well, forget about, you know, oh, well, you need to just. I, I told you that today. So tomorrow you need to wear earrings and a skirt. Like right. that's just not how life works. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. I don't care how much I just educated you in the last 15 minutes. Right. It doesn't mean that you're just going to walk outside and unwind cloth. Like right. you have been brought up into a society that you have to navigate as you're learning these new things. So it's hard for me when I know I'm standing in the middle of the education of, you know, colonialism and what white folks did and also understanding black men and the trauma that they've survived becoming those men. And it's like this chasm where you can't talk about it. So the kinds of things you're asking about metrosexuals and aren't they, you know, emasculating men, you can only say that in certain circles because if you get over to the other side where white folks are talking about you know, the, the super range of, of, of sexualities, they're not really trying to hear that, you know, we're still sort of figuring out the man thing. Um, so it's tough. I like that men are being encouraged to be more in touch with their emotions. Right. I think that any idea that that is an emasculation is something that we've been trained to believe for the purposes of perpetuating the patriarchy. Like this is just a matter of power. Suck it up, don't cry, you know what I'm saying? You can do it all. And it's not healthy for men either. You well, know what I'm saying? It's not healthy me, for men. And let me say this. Let me say this. In, in, my, in, my, in my opinion, 
In my opinion. In my opinion. I'm getting that echo. Can you hear it for me? I can hear you. You're clear. I don't have a echo on my side. Oh, I'm hearing an echo. No. It just okay. comes and goes? Comes and goes, I guess. Okay. Park. Um. <laughs> so, for me, I definitely, I'm definitely not saying that men being in touch with their emotions make them more feminine. Even mm -hmm. though it's look, emotions are looked at as a female trait or the female side of mm -hmm. our duality. I don't think that's that's it at all. I've seen very emotionally in touch men who are very alpha males who don't mind my dad, who was a Vietnam vet, who was a track star in the city, who was very, he was a very emotionally in touch man, very intelligent, will talk your head off. He is not the guy you want to call and say, we need to talk. That's not, that is not, that's a punishment. That's not. <laughs> so, and one of the things that I believe in, and one of the things that I speak on in my podcast when I speak to people, that men need to lead with more emotional intelligence in our relationship. Mm -hmm. For example, we need to let go of the idea of women need to come home, cook and clean and be, you know, be submissive. Fuck me. Mm -hmm. Like that's a lot of job. If you, if you expect a woman to go to work like you do, come home, take care of kids, cook, clean and be there for you in whatever capacity you want that is a slave that's not a woman mm -hmm. if you mm -hmm. have a woman who's going to cook clean take care of the kids all that then you need to be the kind of earner to be able to support that woman so she doesn't have to work and and but there's too many men that think that a woman okay i like a woman that goes to work yeah but, but the expectation is that she can still come home and do all these domesticated all the things, things. Yeah. yeah myself i've raised my son and i'm raising my daughter on my own i don't yeah. need a woman to do a whole lot of domestics for me so i'm different mm -hmm. in the respect that if i have a woman I, I was married to a woman that didn't work that was okay i mean that life was great and i've dealt with women who worked but one of the things in my last relationship i was like look on on i'll take off of work on mondays and tuesdays monday i'm off tuesday i'm taking off early to come home prepare food for the kids when they get home make sure that i get them started on their homework so mm -hmm. this is i think this is how men need to re have to re have to rethink how we think about dating and relationships in 2020 going forward we can no it's longer, tough. we can no longer think that there's women that women can be our grandmothers and also be that financial support as well. It's a wicked mm -hmm. line. It's a wicked line. Yeah. And a lot well, of people aren't taking the time to no. get counseling before they get married. No. It really, it's just so no. many things are revealed in premarital counseling. Like, yes. and then once you see them flags, you know what I'm saying? Grab right. them, hold them, red they are, pocket right. them and understand it, like accept it. Um, and then the other thing that's tough is this. You, you got to be an adult. You have to grow up and and just and 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 put on your big boy pants and be an adult because the truth of the matter is two people can sit in a room with a pastor and go through the whole counseling thing and she can say, well, no, I just know you're like I just want to have kids. I want to be a stay at home mom. Um, this is what I love to do. Blah blah blah. And he could be like, that's awesome because I just want to work. Blah blah. Just that. Then seven years down the line, she could be like, actually, I just saw this job that's really dope that I want. It's like, well, who the fuck is this? You know what I'm saying? Like, you're not the chick I sat with right. in the whole nine. And at that point, you got to be an adult. You have right. to be an adult and recognize that people change and like right. navigate. You put on your right. big boy pants. She puts on her big girl pants. Y'all figure right. out how to change the equation together. together right. um, but if you can't agree that that's the way shit's going to work when you're going in, right. you shouldn't You shouldn't be getting married. Right. Compromise is a very, very, very tough thing. Uh, yeah. And it's harder now because of the gender roles, because people, women can do more and men are learning more like, you know. No, you can't approach a relationship like, oh, we're just going to do this like my parents and my grandparents did. Right. You have to have more confidence. It's, it's way more complex for us. Yeah. It's way more. Yeah. Way, way, way more. Way, way more. Why folks can't seem to stay in relationships. Everybody's struggling. Every, everybody's struggling with this. <laughs> folks are having a hard time. Um, 
So let me ask but you. Yeah, I, so let me ask you about. I have a couple. I have two more things. The first one yeah. is trauma, mm -hmm. and what role? I mean, I it's it's a. I'm going. I'm really throwing this up like an alley oop, right? But trauma as how people deal with that. Um, uh -huh. That you know, um, far as. You have trauma, and like like I said, my friend, she, uh, my first sub, she had that trauma of a rape experience, and mm -hmm. and it, we would, you know, react that out through consent, non consent play. Mm -hmm. So, how much does trauma from your studies and from your life experience? How much does trauma play a role in in all these things, as far as selecting mates or? You know, or people that I look ah. at like, you know, you, you're going to be in one long relationship with multiple people instead of mm -hmm. one long relationship with one person. Like you right. see people I have. I know a young lady. She always starts out hot and heavy with these. Oh, he loves me. I love him. It's a month in. And then six months yeah. later, eight months later, crash and burn. But oops, I'm pregnant again. <sighs> you know, and and it's like. No matter what, she, you know, she's had some trauma in her past. But no matter yeah. what, she is not, she knows exactly what the problems are. But she can't ignore yeah. that trauma. That She can't ignore that trigger. What do you, what do you say about um, that? Yeah, well, so, um, yeah, so, the, you know, trauma does really crazy things to our brains. Um, really, really damaging things. And so this isn't just a matter of like, oh, I had a bad year or whatever. This is when um, you've experienced something that you're, that overwhelms your your brain's ability to cope. It, it stresses you beyond your ability to cope. Um, and so what that can do is it can create new synapses, um, which are like basically like connections in your brain. Um, a, as an elementary example would be like, oh, if I, you know, got hit by a green car, then maybe like, oh, the color green like upsets me for the rest of my life or that kind of thing. That's just, <laughs> I mean, that's extreme. But the point is, you know, it it has a tendency to um, to sort of deeply affect the way you think going forward. Um, a lot of times with, with violent, you know, trauma, um, you're dealing with not just pain, but shock. You know what I'm saying? You're shocked. Something is is happening that your your brain can't comprehend. It often it'll come and go quickly, more quickly than your brain could process it, mm -hmm. right? And then it sort of like just it haunts you afterwards. It's not something you chose, and there's like an absurdity to it, right? Right? It's just it just came and hit you like a hurricane. Right. It beats you up. It left. Now when it leaves, your brain is like in overdrive, just trying to figure out like what, what just happened. And so for some people, I mean, that can turn into PTSD where your brain is just constantly mm. going back to it, just going back to that event, going back to it and reliving it because you, you just, you didn't, ex you barely experienced it the first time, oh. you know, and your brain wants to fix it, finish it, mm. understand it. What did I do wrong? How come right. I didn't protect myself? Right. Um, what have you, whatever it is. So for some people, uh, role play works. It gives you an opportunity to, in a safe space, say, run that back. Run that back. The fuck just happened? What? Give it to me again. You ever, here's like a dumb thing. Like if, <laughs> if you like spiders, <laughs> I'm terrified of spiders, right? I'm terrified of spiders, right? So you see like something crawling in your house and you just like throw it a box on it and then you leave it. Right. This is what I do. I leave it. And then I wait and then somebody else is there. And then we pick it up and we look at it and you kill it. And the next thing you know, you're looking at how the body's shaped and the whole night you right. pull it apart. Now you have power over that thing that terrified you. Right. Now you have a second in a safe space with someone, you know, mm. to feel like, you know what? what? Bring that back. Let me see what that was. Mm. Let me let me get at that now. And so I can understand how a role play can give somebody that opportunity to say, like, you know what? Like, it's going to nag me either way. Right. Role play is not bringing back the traumatic experience. That right. that shit's there. Right. It keeps coming back to me right. anyway, anyway, but it's coming right. back to me and I've got no control over what I do with it. Right. And so if you can build a mechanism of safe control with someone you trust right. to say, I've got to do this because my brain is doing it anyway. I need to do this 
-hmm. here with you, um, then it can work. But the truth of the matter is still, it's the kind of thing where it's like, one, not a ton, a ton of research. There's been good research. There's been, you know, inconclusive research. You kind of still would need to be checking in with a professional on just how you're doing sexually or not sexually, like just mm -hmm. mentally. Um, it still isn't, I wouldn't say that it just completely replaces, you know, talk therapy. Um, just nothing does, you know, they, right. nobody would suggest that you're on depression medications without talk therapy. Uh, right. I wouldn't suggest getting on, you know, erectile dysfunction medications without, you know, some kind of talk therapy. Um, so same thing with any kind of role play or what have you. Um, I completely understand how that could work, um, neurologically. Um, but you would still need to make sure that it's working specifically for that person because you can't say that it just is going to work for everybody. So, and let me ask you this. So, okay, my last question is pain as a release. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. So, keep going. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about my pain as a release right so uh -huh. I, i'm siding on the dominant side so i'm the one setting up sessions and doing the choreograph of the session and doing sure. thing and all that however i have a masochist side that i've, I've figured out okay when I, when I go to the japanese spot to get a massage i like to get the deep tissue shiatsu massage okay yeah which is not pleasurable right? <laughs> at all because there you the, that little getting up on the tip she's getting up she's walking on my back <laughs> using her elbows she's doing all you know using, so good using right her feet, and uh, it is a very um it is not such a pleasurable but afterward my body is a little sore but the next day i feel yeah great and i feel like the pressure in my body was released now yeah that's how i can relate to it now tell me because i know you played a little bit how do you yeah what, and, and from what you studied a little bit from your life experience and what you study how do you feel about pain as release and also real quick one caveat not just physical because some people like the the, the makeup they like to break up the makeup pain oh no no oh, oh yeah you're right this is true this is true so okay so chemically, right, we're just going to get that out of the way. Chemically, everything is up there and super close to each other. All the all the yay and nay <laughs> chemicals are like just right. They're just in jars next to each other in the refrigerator. So all of like the serotonin, melatonin, epinephrine, norepinephrine, these are all things um, that come adrenaline when you're scared and when you're excited. Um, stress and pain will kick these things out to um, to make you feel better. So there are chemicals that sort of show up. So if you stress your body, your body's gonna do what it can to, to shoot you something to make you feel better. And mm -hmm. so um, when we're happy, we get feel better chemicals. And when we're sad, we get feel better chemicals. <laughs> when you, if you hit it right, you get feel better. Now this is the thing, again, everybody's got those chemicals in their body. People have different levels. Okay. People have different levels, right? And so it's not going to work the same for everyone. Um, people have different levels, then they also have different synapses. Their minds have all kinds of different connections. For, for me, leather might be a total yay, and for someone else, leather might remind them of their father's belt and completely turn them off, mm. you know? Um, and so, again, like chemically, yes, it's been, you know, beyond proven that while we don't understand all of the like, nuanced mechanisms of like the brain and all the chemicals we understand that these chemicals are involved in pain and fear but then also um in pleasure and so they're all released and they get they can for some people get good and mixed up um i yeah i am a um definitely a, a fan of pain and sex and like i i uh you like you have it at the gym, right? If you some people will say like, oh, when you, you know you go to the gym, you work out really hard. Like you're ripping your muscles, the shit hurts. Um, yeah. But but you know that it's working. Like something about it is really exciting you that progress. Um, and so you know, research studies that are out there about the connection between pain and sex um, are mostly they're mostly um, qualitative at this point. Um, so the difference, right, being that quantitative would be like 
you know, 26% of people say so-and-so or like over 80% of women, you know, like to get spanked in the butt. Like we don't have as many of those studies, but we do have qualitative studies where they'll get a focus group of, you know, men and women together um, and that kind of thing. And so the reasons behind what excites people in pain are like just as varied as there are sort of like humans, you know, the Mm -hmm. kinds of things that anecdotally people will say why it works for them. Oh, it wakes me up. Oh, it's, um, it's just a a distraction. The more pain it's like, you can't focus on anything else. I can't focus on work and meetings and, you know, the, you know, kids at home that are waiting for me to like, I can't focus on anything except for, and so some people just like the pain because it's just like a tunnel where it's just you and you've chosen it. It's like your own little personal vacation, right? Um, Yeah, and some people it's a lot more physical and some people it's it's more psychological. Right. Um, But but yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a connection. I did see a mention of two studies in 2009 Mm -hmm. in the archives of sexual behavior um, that talked about consensual sadomasochism um, creating a heightened sense of bonding between partners. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there's the individual pain factor, but then it has been shown, at least in, in some, some studies, to create a, a stronger bond between the two people who participate. Right. Um, so that can happen. But again, it's you got to baby step it in because you don't know each other until you know each other. Exactly. Exactly. You and know? it's funny because um, I think a lot of people, when it comes to BDSM and those type of relationships, they never try to say that they're better than regular relationships, vanilla relationships. But the connection is much different. It's not so much based on love as much as it is this deeper connection of the things that we're doing with one another. That's trust and that mm-hmm. trust and that you you know that getting to know each other without that conversation. Because some situations you're in, you're not able to say anything. Those connections are very deep. And I know people yeah. Feel them, and sometimes the only way that we can convey what we feel is like a level of love, but it's something more than love. That that connection between a dominant and a submissive, or just two people that are kinky that are doing really, really elaborate things with each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it true. does. It sort of locks you in, <laughs> locks you in together a little bit, a little bit yes, tighter. Um, so. <laughs> For sure, for sure. Sophia, man, I want to thank you. Thank you. This was fine. It's I mean, good talking. Can I just say that this is just part one because I know that people are going to listen to this and okay. they're going to be like, yo, you got to have her back on. They're going to give me questions. All right. Hopefully, I'm not. Back back on? Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Absolutely. You know, sex all day, sex all day, sex all day. <laughs> thank you now, so much. Do you still have your below your blackout page? I don't. I temp disabled my um, fee page and my below my black below your blackout page. I temp disabled them. So whenever I log back in, they're going to be there. But what I'm going to do is just because when I started blow your blackout, I still want the trade. I got to finish doing the things for the trademark. Um, but when I started it, it was I was still working at Pico, and so it was like I needed a whole other page to talk about things because I right. couldn't talk about it on my page. So what I'm going to do now is probably consolidate. I'm probably just going to bring the topics. I'm not going to like stylize it and do all this stuff, but I'll probably bring the lyrics. Right. Um, and I'll bring more articles to my, my fee page. One of the but things, I have to- and one of the things that I liked about your page is that not only the way you had color choreograph, however, like under each one, you had these really great topics. On relationships and sexuality, you had these quotes yeah. like the the rap the rap quotes or song quotes and quotes. yeah. But some of those the articles topics. that you would have, the topics that you would have, were very very interesting. Yeah, I'm gonna try to bring them over to to. When you have time, when you bring that back, I'm gonna put everybody onto it because I love it. Okay, thank you. I am. I'm coming back. I'll. I gotta figure out when exactly. Usually, I like last year. I I was or this year I shot for Valentine's Day. Because right. I had gotten off last October, right, and then I got I came back on Valentine's Day, and so uh, I might try to come back on Valentine's Day, but I don't know if I'll be ready yet because it seems like all of a sudden it's January already. I don't know. Right. So we'll see. I just don't know if like spiritually I'll be in the mood yet to like 
Well, yeah. Like, yeah. keep putting up content. I understand you definitely have to be in the mood. I, I, you know, you're in the mood with that shit. Yes. <laughs> like, this is crazy. Because yes. people are crazy. Yes, people are crazy. And we're gonna and we're gonna work through those things. We are. We're gonna do more podcasting. Yes, we have to. I have things to say, so. Yes. And you can create a topic, we can talk about it. All right. That was quite an experience, wasn't it? Tune in again for a fresh release of Sir Inc.'s The Experience Podcast.